And now we return to Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Chapter 13. Well, I catched my breath and most fainted. Shut up on a wreck with such a gang as that? But it weren't no time to be sentimentary. We'd got to find that boat now. Had to have it for ourselves. So we went a-quaking and a-shaking down the starboard side, and slow work it was, too. Seemed a week before we got to the stern. No sign of a boat. Jim said he didn't believe he could go any further. So scared he hadn't hardly any strength left. But I said, come on, if we get left on this wreck, we're in a fix, sure. So on we prowled again. We struck for the stern of the Texas, and found it, and then scrabbled along forwards on the skylight, hanging on from shutter to shutter, for the edge of the skylight was in the water. When we got pretty close to the cross-hall door, there was the skiff, sure enough. I could just barely see her. I felt ever so thankful. In another second, I would have been aboard of her, but just then, the door opened. One of the men stuck his head out only about a couple of feet from me, and I thought I was gone, but he jerked it in again and says, Heave that blame lantern out of sight, Bill. He flung a bag of something into the boat, and then got in himself and sat down. It was Packard. Then Bill, he come out and got in. Packard says in a low voice, Already, shove off. I couldn't hardly hang on to the shutters, I was so weak. But Bill says, Hold on. Did you go through him? No. Didn't you? No. So he's got his share of the cash yet. Well then, come along. No use to take truck and leave money. Say, won't he be suspicious what we're up to? Maybe he won't, but we gotta have it anyway. Come on. So they got out and went in. The door slammed too because it was on the careened side, and then a half second I was in the boat, and Jim come tumbling after me. I out with my knife and cut the rope, and away we went. We didn't touch an oar, and we didn't speak nor whisper, nor hardly even breathe. We went gliding swift along, dead silent, past the tip of the paddle box, and past the stern. Then in a second or two more, we was a hundred yards below the wreck, and the darkness soaked her up, every last sign of her, and we was safe, and knowed it. When we was three or four hundred yards downstream, we see the lantern show like a little spark at the Texas door for a second, and we knowed by that that the rascals had missed their boat, and was beginning to understand that they was in just as much trouble now as Jim Turner was. Then Jim manned the oars, and we took out after our raft. Now was the first time that I'd begun to worry about the men. I reckoned I hadn't had time to before. I began to think how dreadful it was, even for murderers, to be in such a fix. I says to myself, There ain't no telling, but I might come to be a murderer myself yet, and then how would I like it? So says I to Jim, The first light we see, we'll land a hundred yards below it or above it, in a place where it's a good hiding place for you and the skiff. Then I'll go and fix up some kind of a yarn, get somebody to go for that gang and get them out of their scrape so they can be hung when their time comes. But that idea was a failure, for pretty soon it begun to storm again, and this time worse than ever. The rain poured down, and never a light showed. Everybody in bed, I reckon. We boomed along down the river, 
watching for lights and watching for a raft. After a long time, the rain lit up, but the clouds stayed, and the lightning kept whimpering, and by and by a flash showed us a black thing ahead, floating, and we made for it. It was the raft, and mighty glad was we to get aboard of it again. We seen a light now, away down to the right, on shore, so I said I'd go for it. The skiff was half full of plunder which that gang had stole there on the wreck. We hustled it onto the raft in a pile, and I told Jim to float along down, and show a light when he judged he'd gone about two miles, and keep it burning till I come. Then I manned my oars, and shoved for the light. As I got down towards it, three or four more showed, up on a hillside. It was a village. I closed in above the shore light, and laid on my oars, and floated. As I went by, I see it was a lantern hanging on the jackstaff of a double-hull ferry boat. I skimmed around for the watchman, a-wondering whereabouts he slept, and by and by I found him roosting on the bits forward, with his head down between his knees. I gave his shoulder two or three little shoves. He stirred up in a kind of startless way, but when he seen it was only me, he took a good gap and stretch, and then he says, Hello, what's up? What's the trouble? So I says, Pap and ma'am and sis and... Then I broke down. He says, Oh, dang it now, don't take on so. We all has to have our troubles, and this'll come out all right. What's the matter with them? There, there. Are you the watchman of the boat? Yes, he says, kind of pretty well satisfied like. I'm the captain and the owner and the mate and the pilot and the watchman and the head deckhand, and sometimes I'm the freight and the passengers. I ain't as rich as old Jim Hornback, and I can't be so blame generous and good to Tom, Dick, and Harry as what he is and slam around money the way he does. But I've told him many a time, I wouldn't trade places with him, for, says I, a sailor's life's a life for me, and I'm darned if I'd live two mile out of town where there ain't nothing ever going on, not for all his spondulicks and as much more on top of it. Says I, I broke in at that point and says, they're in an awful peck of trouble and who is? Why, my mam and pap and sis and Miss Hooker. And if you take your ferry boat and go up there. Up where? Where are they? On the wreck. What wreck? Why, there ain't but one. What, you mean the Walter Scott? Yes. Good land. What are they doing there, for gracious sakes? Well, they didn't go there a purpose. I bet they didn't. Why, great goodness, there ain't no chance for them if they don't get off mighty quick. Why, how in the nation did they ever get into such a scrape? Easy enough. Miss Hooker was a-visiting up there to the town. Yeah, Booth's Landing. Go on. Well, she was a-visiting there at Booth's Landing, and just at the edge of the evening she started over with her servant in the horse ferry to stay all night at her friend's house. Miss, uh, whatchamacallar, I disremember her name, and they lost their steering oar, and swung around and went a-floating down, stern first, about two mile, and saddle-bagged on the wreck. And the ferryman and the servant woman and the horses was all lost, but Miss Hooker, she made a grab and got aboard the wreck. Well, about an hour after dark, we come along down in our trading scow, and it was so dark we didn't notice the wreck till we was right on it. So we saddle-bagged, but all of us was saved but Bill Whipple, 
and all, he was the best creature. I most wish it had been me. I do. My George, that's the beatenest thing I ever struck. And then what did y'all do? Well, we hollered and took on, but it's so wide there we couldn't make nobody hear. So Pap said somebody got to get ashore and help somehow, and get help. I was the only one that could swim, so I made a dash for it. And Miss Hooker, she said, if I didn't strike help sooner, come here and hunt up her uncle, and he'd fix the thing. I made the land about a mile below, and been fooling along ever since, trying to get people to do something. But they said, what, on such a night, and such a current? There ain't no sense in it. Go for the steam ferry. Now, if you'll go and buy Jackson, I'd like to, and blame it. I don't know, but I will. But who in the dang nations are going to pay for it? Do you reckon you're pap? Why, that's all right. Miss Hooker, she told me, particular, that her uncle Hornback. Great guns! Is he her uncle? Looky here. You break for that light over yonder way, and turn out west when you get there, and about a quarter of a mile out, you'll come to the tavern. Tell him to dart you out to Jim Hornback's, and he'll foot the bill. And don't you fool around any, cause he'll want to know the news. Tell him I'll have his niece all safe before he can get to town. Hump it now. I'm a-going up around the corner here to roust out my engineer. I struck for the light, but as soon as he turned the corner, I went back and got into my skiff and bailed her out, then pulled up shore in the easy water about six hundred yards and tucked myself in among some wood boats, for I couldn't rest easy till I could see the ferry boat start. But take it all around, I was feeling rather comfortable on accounts of taking all this trouble for that gang, for not many would have done it. I wish the widow knowed about it. I judge she'd be proud of me for helping these rapscallions, because rapscallions and deadbeats is the kind the widow and good people takes the most interest in. Well, before long, here comes the wreck, dim and dusky, sliding along down. A kind of cold shiver went through me, and then I struck out for her. She was very deep, and I see in a minute there weren't much chance for anybody being alive in her. I pulled all around her and hollered a little, but there wasn't any answer. All dead still. I felt a little bit heavy-hearted about the gang, but not much, for I reckon if they could stand it, I could. Then here comes the ferry boat, so I shoved for the middle of the river on a long downstream slant, and when I judged I was out of eye reach, I laid on my oars and looked back and see her go and smell around the wreck for Miss Hooker's remainders because the captain would know her uncle Hornback would want them. And then pretty soon the ferryboat give it up and went for the shore, and I laid into my work and went a-booming down the river. It did seem a powerful long time before Jim's light showed up, and when it did show, it looked like it was a thousand miles off. By the time I got there, the sky was beginning to get a little gray in the east, so we struck for an island and hid the raft and sunk the skiff and turned in and slept like dead people. Chapter 14 By and by, when we got up, we turned over the truck the gang had stole off the wreck, and found boots, and blankets, and clothes, and all sorts of other things, and a lot of books, and a spyglass, and three boxes of cigars. We had never been this rich before in neither of our lives. The cigars was prime. <laughs> 
"'We'd laid off all the afternoon in the woods talking, "'and me reading the books, and having a general good time. "'I told Jim all about what happened inside the wreck and at the ferry boat, "'and I said these kinds of things was adventures. "'But he said he didn't want no more adventures. "'He said that when I went in the Texas "'and he crawled back to get on the raft and found her gone, "'he nearly died.' because he judged it was all up with him any way it could be fixed. For if he didn't get saved, he'd get drowned. And if he did get saved, whoever saved him would send him back home so as to get the reward. And then Miss Watson would sell him south, sure. Well, he was right. He was almost always right. He had an uncommon level head. I read considerable to Jim about kings and dukes and earls and such, and how gaudy they dressed, and how much style they put on, and called each other Your Majesty, and Your Grace, and Your Lordship, and so on, instead of Mister, and Jim's eyes bugged out. He was interested. He says, I didn't know there was so many of them. I ain't heard about none of them, scarcely, but old King Solomon. Unless you count them kings that's in a pack of keyards, how much do a king get? get? I says. Well, they get a thousand dollars a month if they want it. They can have just as much as they want. Everything belongs to them. Ain't that gay? And what they got to do, Huck? They don't do nothing. Why, how you talk? They just sit around. No. Is that so? Of course it is. They just sit around, except maybe when there's a war. Then they go to the war. But other times they just lazy around or go hawking. Just hawking and... Shh! Hey! You hear a noise? We skipped out and looked, but it weren't nothing but the flutter of a steamboat's wheel away down, coming around the point. So we come back. Yep, says I. And other times, when things is dull, they fuss with the Parliament. And if everybody don't go just so, he whacks their heads off. But mostly they hang around the harem. Round a witch? The harem. What's the harem? The place where he keeps his wives. Don't you know about the harem? Solomon had one. He had about a million wives. Why, yes, that's so. I done forgot it. A harem's a boating house, I reckon. Most likely they has rackety times in the nursery. And I reckon the wives quarrels considerable on that increase in the racket. Yet they say Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. I don't take no stock in that. Because why? Why would a wise man want to live in the mids or such blam blamming all the time? No deedy he wouldn't. A wise man would take and build a biler factory, and then he can shut down the biler factory when he wants to. Well, but he was the wisest man anyway, because the widow she told me so, her own self. I don't care what the widder say. He warn't no wise man nother. He had some of the dad fetching his ways I ever seen. Does you know about that child that he was going to chop in two? Yeah, the widow told me all about it. Well, then, weren't that the beatenest notion in the world? You just take and look at it a minute. That's the stump there. That's one of the women. He is you. That's the other one. It's Solomon. "'and dish your dollar bills to child "'before you claims it. "'What does I do? 
Does I shin around amongst the neighbors and find out which in you the bill do belong to and hand it over to the right one? All safe and sound? The way that anybody that had any gumption would? No, I take and whack the bill in too and give half of it to you and the other half to the other woman. That's the way Solomon was going to do with the child. Now I wants to ask you, what's the use of that half a bill? Can't buy nothing with it. And what use is half a child? I wouldn't give a darn for a million of them. But hang it, Jim, you clean missed the point. Blame it, you missed it a thousand mile. Who, me? Go long. Don't talk to me about your pints. I reckon I knows sense when I sees it, and there ain't no sense in such doings as that. Dispute weren't about a half a child. Dispute was about the whole child. And the man to think he can settle a dispute about a whole child with half a child don't know enough to come in out of the rain. Don't talk to me about Solomon, Huck. I knows him by the back. But I tell you, you don't get the point. Blame the point. I reckon I knows what I knows. And mind you, the real pint is down further. It's down deeper. It lays in the way Solomon was raised. You take a man that's got only one or two chillin, and that man gwine to be wasteful of chillin? No, he ain't. He can't afford it. He know how to value him. But you take a man that's got about five million chillin running round the house? Yeah, it's different. He as soon chop a child in two as a cat. Days plenty more. A child or two, more or less, won't know, weren't no conceikins to Solomon. Dad, fetch him. I had never heard such stuff. If Jim got a notion in his head once, there weren't no getting it out again. He was the most down on Solomon of, of any man I ever seen. So I went talking about other kings and let Solomon slide. I told about Louis the Sixteenth that got his head cut off in France a long time ago, and about his little boy the Dolphin, that would have been a king, but they took and shut him up in jail, and some say he died there. Poor little chap. But some says he got out and got away and come to America. Dat's good, but he'll be pooty lonesome. There ain't no kings here, is there, Huck? No. Then he can't get no situation. What's he going to do? Well, I don't know. Some of them gets on the police, and some of them learns people how to talk French. Why, Huck, don't the French people talk the same way we does? No, nah, Jim. You couldn't understand a word they said. Not a single word. Well, now, I be ding-busted. How did that come? I don't know, but it's so. I got some of their jabber out of a book. Suppose a man was to come to you and say, Polly-voo Franzi, what would you think? I wouldn't think nothing. I'd take and bust him over the head. That is, if he weren't white. I wouldn't allow none of my friends to call me that. Shucks, it ain't calling you anything. It's only saying, do you know how to talk French? Well, then, why couldn't he say it? Well, he is a saying it. That's a Frenchman way of saying it. Well, it's a blame ridiculous way, and I don't want to hear no more about it. There ain't no sense in it. Looky here, Jim. Does a cat talk like we do? No, a cat don't. Well, does a cow? No, a cow don't nother. Does a cat talk like a cow? Or a cow talk like a cat? No, they don't. 
It's natural and right for them to talk different from each other then, ain't it? Coast. And ain't it natural and right for a cat and a cow to talk different from us? Why, most surely it is. Well then, why ain't it natural and right for a Frenchman to talk different from us? You answer me that. Is a cat a man, Huck? No. Well then, there ain't no sense in a cat talking like a man. Is a cow a man? Or is a cow a cat? No, she ain't either of them. Well then, she ain't got no business to talk like either one or the other of them. Is a Frenchman a man? Yes. Well then, Dad blame it, why don't he talk like a man? You answer me that. I saw at that point it weren't no use wasting words. I just couldn't learn this guy to argue. So I quit. Chapter 15 We judged that three nights more would fetch us to Cairo, at the bottom of Illinois, where the Ohio River comes in, and that was what we was after. We would sell the raft and get on a steamboat and go way up the Ohio amongst the free states and then be out of trouble. Well, the second night a fog began to come on, and we made for a towhead to tie to, for it wouldn't do to try to run in a fog. But when I paddled ahead in the canoe with the line to make fast, there weren't anything but little saplings to tie to. I passed a line around one of them on the edge of the cut bank, but there was a stiff current, and the raft come booming down so lively she tore it out by the roots and away she went. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I see the fog closing down, and it made me so sick and scared I couldn't budge for almost half a minute, it seemed to me. And then there weren't no raft in sight. You couldn't see twenty yards. I jumped into the canoe and run back to the stern and grabbed the paddle and set her back a stroke. But she didn't come. I was in such a hurry, I hadn't untied her. I got up and tried to untie her, but I was so excited my hands shook, so I couldn't hardly do anything with them. As soon as I got started, I took out after the raft, hot and heavy, right down the towhead. That was all right as far as it went, but the towhead weren't sixty yards long, and the minute I flew by the foot of it, I shot out into the solid white fog and had no more idea which way I was going than a dead man. Thinks I, it won't do to paddle. First I know I'll run into the bank or a towhead or something. I got to set still and float and yet it's mighty fidgety business to have to hold your hand still at such a time. I whooped and listened. Away down there somewheres, I hears a small whoop, and up comes my spirits. I went tearing after it, listening sharp to hear it again. The next time I come, I see I weren't headed for it, but heading away to the right of it. And the next time, I was heading away to the left of it, but not gaining on it much either for I was flying around, this way and that and the other, but it was going straight ahead all the time. I did wish the fool would think to beat a tin pan and beat it all the time, but he never did, and it was the still places between the whoops that was making the trouble for me. Well, I fought along, and directly I hears the whoop, 
behind me. I was tangled good now. That was somebody else's whoop, or else I was turned around. I throwed the paddle down. I heard the whoop again. It was behind me yet, but in a different place. It kept coming. It kept changing its place. And I kept answering, till by and by it was in front of me again, and I knowed the current had swung the canoe's head downstream, and I was all right if that was Jim, and not some other raftsman hollering. I couldn't tell nothing about voices in a fog, for nothing don't look natural nor sound natural in a fog. The whooping went on, and then about a minute I come up booming down on a cut bank with smoky ghosts of big trees on it, and the current throwed me off to the left and shot by, amongst a lot of snags that fairly roared. The current was tearing by them so swift. In another second or two it was solid white and still again. I sat perfectly still then, listening to my heart thump, and I reckon I didn't draw a breath while it thumped a hundred. I just give up then. I knowed what the matter was. That cut bank was an island, and Jim had gone down the other side of it. It weren't no towhead that you could float by in ten minutes. It had the big timber of a regular island, and it might be five or six miles long and more than half a mile wide. I kept quiet with my ears cocked about fifteen minutes, I reckon. I was floating along, of course, four or five miles an hour. But you don't ever think of that. No, you feel like you're laying dead still on the water, and if a little glimpse of a snag slips by you, you don't think to yourself how fast you are going. But you catch your breath and think, my, how that snag's tearing along. If you think it ain't dismal and lonesome out in the fog that way by yourself in the night, you try it once. You'll see. Next, for about a half an hour, I whoops now and then, and at last I hear the answer a long ways off and tries to follow it, but I couldn't do it, and directly I judged I'd got into a nest of towheads, for I had little dim glimpses of them on both sides of me, sometimes just a narrow channel between, and some that I couldn't see I knowed was there because I'd hear the wash of the current against the old dead brush and trash that hung over the banks. Well, I weren't long losing the whoops down among the towheads, and I only tried to chase them a little while anyway, because it was worse than chasing a jack-o'-lantern. You never know to sound dodge around so, and swap places so quick, and so much. I had to claw away from the bank pretty lively four or five times to keep from knocking the islands out of the river. And so I judged the raft must be buddied into the bank every now and then, or else it would get further ahead and clear out of hearing. It was floating a little faster than what I was because it was heavier. Well, I seemed to be in the open river again by and by, but I couldn't hear no sign of a whoop nowheres. I reckon Jim had fetched up on a snag, maybe, and it was all up with him. I was good and tired, so I laid down in the canoe and said I wouldn't bother no more. I didn't want to go to sleep, of course, but I was so sleepy I couldn't help it, so I thought I'd just take one little catnap. But I reckon it was more than a catnap, for when I waked up the stars was shining bright, the fog was all gone, and I was spinning down a big bend stern first. At first I didn't know where I was. I thought I was dreaming. And when things began to come back to me, they seemed to come up dim out of last week. It was a monstrous big river here, 
with the tallest and thickest kind of timber on both banks. Just a solid wall, as well as I could see by the stars. I looked away downstream and seen a black speck on the water. I took after it, but when I got to it, it weren't nothing but a couple of saw logs made fast together. Then I seen another speck and chased that, then another, and that time I was right. It was the raft. When I got to it, Jim was sitting there with his head down between his knees, asleep, with his right arm hanging over the steering oar. The other oar was smashed off, and the raft was littered up with leaves and branches and dirt. So he'd had a rough time. I made fast and laid down under Jim's nose on the raft and began to yawn and stretch my fists out against Jim and says, Hello, Jim. Have I been asleep? Why didn't you stir me up? Goodness gracious, is that you, Huck? And you ain't dead. You ain't drowned. You's back again? It's too good to be true, honey. It's too good to be true. Let me look at you, child. Let me feel you. Nope, you ain't dead. You's back again. Live and sound. Just the same old Huck. Thanks to goodness. What's the matter with you, Jim? You been a-drinking? Drinking? Has I been a-drinking? Has I had a chance to be drinking? Well, then, what makes you talk so wild? How does I talk wild? Why, ain't you been talking about my coming back and all that stuff, as if I'd been gone away? Huck, Huck Finn, you look me in the eye. You look me right here in the eye. Ain't you been gone away? Gone away? Why, what in the nation do you mean? I ain't been gone anywheres. Where would I go to? Well, looky here, boss. Day's something wrong, day is. Is I me? Or who is I? Is I here? Or what is I? Now, that's what I wants to know. Well, I think you're here plain enough, but I think you're a tangle-headed old fool, Jim. Oh, I is, is I? Well, you answer me dis. Didn't you tote out the line in the canoe for to make fast to a towhead? Nah, I didn't. What towhead? I ain't seen no towhead. You ain't seen no towhead? Looky here. Didn't the line pull loose on the raft, go a humming down the river, and leave you in the canoe behind in the fog? What fog? Why, the fog. The fog that's been round all night. And didn't you whoop? And didn't I whoop? Till we got mixed up into islands, and one of us got lost, and either one was just as good as lost. "'cause he didn't know why he was. "'And didn't I bust up again a lot on them islands "'and have a terrible time and most get drowned? "'Now ain't that so, boss? Ain't it so? "'You answer me that. "'Well, this is too much for me, Jim. "'I ain't seen no fog, nor no islands, "'nor no troubles, nor nothing. "'I've been sitting here talking with you all night "'till you went to sleep about ten minutes ago, "'and I reckon I done the same. "'You couldn't have got drunk in that time.' So, of course, you've been dreaming. Dad, fetch it. How's I going to dream all that in ten minutes? Well, hang it all, you did dream it, because there didn't any of it happen. But, Huck, it's all just as plain to me as... It don't make no difference how plain it is. There ain't nothing in it. I know, because I've been here all the time. Jim didn't say nothing for about five minutes. He sat there studying over it. And then he says, Well, Dan, I reckon I did dream it, Huck. 
but dog my cats if it ain't the powerfulest dream I ever seen. And I hain't ever had no dream before that's tired me out like this one. Oh, well, that's all right, because a dream does tire a body like everything sometimes. But this one was a starving dream. Tell me all about it, Jim. So Jim went to work and told me the whole thing right through, just as it happened. Only he painted it up considerable. Then he said he must start in and interpret it, because it was set for a warning. He said the first towhead stood for a man that would try to do us some good, but the current was another man that would get us away from him. The whoops was warnings that would come to us every now and then, and if we didn't try hard to make out to understand them, they'd just take us into bad luck instead of keeping us out of it. The lot of towheads was troubles we was going to get into with quarrelsome people and all kinds of mean folks. But if we minded our business and didn't talk back and aggravate them, we would pull through and get out of the fog and into the big clear river, which was the free states, and wouldn't have no more trouble. It had clouded up pretty dark just after I got onto the raft, but it was clearing up again now. Oh, well, that's all interpreted well enough as far as it goes, Jim, I says. But what does these things stand for? It was the leaves and rubbish on the raft and the smashed oar. You can see them first rate now. Jim looked at the trash, and then he looked at me, and then he looked back at the trash again. He had got the dream fixed so strong in his head that he couldn't seem to shake it loose and get the facts back into its place again right away. But when he did get the thing straightened around, he looked at me steady, without ever smiling, and says, What did they stand for? I was going to tell you. When I got all wore out with work, and went to calling for you, and went to sleep, my heart was most broke, cause you was lost, and I didn't care no more I would come or me into wrath. But when I wake up and find you back again, all safe and sound, the tears come, and I think I could have got down on my knees and kissed your foot. I was so thankful to have you here. And all you was thinking about was how you could make a fool of old Jim with a lie. That truck there is trash, and trash is what people is that puts dirt on the head of their friends and makes them ashamed. Then he got up slow and walked to the wigwam and went in there without saying anything but that. But that was enough. It made me feel so mean I could have almost kissed his feet to get him to take it back. It was fifteen minutes before I could work myself up and go and humble myself to Jim, but I'd done it, and I weren't ever sorry for it afterwards, neither. I didn't do him no more mean tricks, and I wouldn't have done that one if I'd have known it'd make him feel that way. Chapter 16 We slept most all day, and started out at night, a little ways behind a monstrous long raft that was as long going by as a procession. She had four long sweeps at each end, so we judged she carried as many as thirty men, likely. She had five big wigwams aboard, wide apart, and an open campfire in the middle, and a tall flagpole at each end. There was a power of style about her. It amounted to something, being a raftsman on such a craft as that. We went drifting down into a big bend, and the night clouded up and got hot. The river was very wide, and was walled with solid timber on both sides. You couldn't see a break in it hardly ever, or a light. We talked about Cairo, and wondered whether we would know it when we got to it. 
I said likely we wouldn't, "'cause I'd heard their say there weren't but a dozen houses there. "'And if they didn't happen to have them lit up, "'how was we going to know we was a pass in a town?' Jim said if the two big rivers joined together there, that would show. But I said maybe we might think we was passing the foot of an island and coming into the same old river again. Well, that disturbed Jim, and me too. So the question was, what to do? I said, paddle ashore the first time a light showed and tell them Pap was behind, coming along with a trading scowl, and was a green hand at the business and wanted to know how far it was to Cairo. Jim thought that was a good idea, so we took a smoke on it and waited. There weren't nothing to do now but look out sharp for the town and not pass it without seeing it. He said he'd be mighty sure to see it, because he'd be a free man the minute he seen it. But if he missed it, he'd be in a slave country again and no more show for freedom. Every little while he jumps up and says, Dash she is! But it weren't. It was jack-o'-lanterns, or lightning bugs. So he sat down again and went to watch it, same as before. Jim said it made him all over trembly and feverish to be so close to freedom. Well, I can tell you it made me all over trembly and feverish, too, to hear him, because I'd begun to get it to my head that he was most free. And who was to blame for it? Why, me. I couldn't get that out of my conscience. No how, nor no way. He got the troubling me so, I couldn't rest. I couldn't stay still in one place. It hadn't ever come home to me before, what this thing was that I was doing. But now it did, and it stayed with me, and scorched me more and more. I tried to make out to myself that I weren't to blame, because I didn't run Jim off from his rightful owner. But it weren't no use. "'Conscience up and says, every time. "'But you knowed he was running for his freedom, "'and you could have paddled ashore and told somebody.' "'That was so. "'I couldn't get around that no way. "'That was where it pinched. "'Conscience says to me, "'What had poor Miss Watson done to you "'that you could see her slave go right off under your eyes "'and never say one single word? "'What did that poor woman do to you "'that you could treat her so mean?' Why, she tried to learn you your book. She tried to learn you your manners. She tried to be good to you every way she knowed how. That's what she'd done. I got the feeling so mean and so miserable, I most wish I was dead. I fidgeted up and down the raft, abusing myself to myself, and Jim was fidgeting up and down past me. We neither of us could keep still. Every time he danced around and says, Days Cairo! It went through me like a shot, and I thought if it was Cairo, I reckoned I'd die of miserableness. Jim talked out loud all the time while I was talking to myself. He was saying how the first thing he would do when he got to a free state, he would go to saving up money and never spend a single cent. And when he got enough, he'd buy himself a wife, which was owned on a farm close to where Miss Watson lived. And then they'd both work to buy the two children. And if their master wouldn't sell them, They'd get abolitionists to go and steal them. It most froze me to hear such talk. He wouldn't ever dare to talk such talk in his life before. Just see what a difference it made in him the minute he judged he was about free. It was according to the old saying, Give a slave an inch, and he'll take a mile. Thinks I, 
"'This is what comes of my not thinking. "'Here was a slave, which I had as good as helped to run away, "'coming right out flat-footed and saying he would steal his children, "'children that belonged to a man I didn't even know, "'a man that hadn't ever done me no harm. "'I was sorry to hear Jim say that. "'It was such a lowering of him. "'My conscience got to stirring me up hotter than ever, "'until at last I says to it, "'Let up on me. "'It ain't too late yet.' I'll paddle ashore at the first light and tell. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org. I felt easy and happy and light as a feather right off. All my troubles was gone. I went to looking out sharp for a light and sort of singing to myself. By and by, one showed, and Jim sings out, We safe, Huck! We safe! Jump up and crack your heels! That's a good old Cairo at last! I just knows it! I says, I'll take the canoe and go and see, Jim. It mightn't be, you know. He jumped up and got the canoe ready and put his old coat in the bottom for me to set on and give me a paddle. And as I shoved off, he says, Pretty soon I'll be a shouting for joy and I'll say, It's all on account of you, Huck. I's a free man and I couldn't ever been free if it hadn't been for Huck. Huck done it. Jim won't ever forget you, Huck. You've been the best friend Jim's ever had. And you's a only friend old Jim has now. I was paddling off, all in a sweat to tell on him. But when he says this, it seemed to kind of take the tuck all out of me. I went along slow then, and I weren't right down certain whether I was glad I started or whether I weren't. When I was fifty yards off, Jim says, There you goes, oh good old true huck. The only white gentleman to ever keep his promise to old Jim. Well, I just felt sick. But I says, I got to do it. I can't get out of it. Right then, along comes a skiff with two men in it with guns. And they stopped. And I stopped. And one of them says, What's that yonder? A piece of raft. I says, Do you belong on it? Yes, sir. Any men on it? Only one, sir. Well, there's five slaves run off tonight up yonder, above the head of the bend. Is your man white or black? I didn't answer up prompt. I tried to, but the words wouldn't come. I tried for a second or two to brace up and out with it, but I weren't man enough. Hadn't the spunk of a rabbit. I see I was weakening, so I just give up trying and says, He's white. I reckon we'll go and see for ourselves. I wish you would, says I, because it's Pap that's there. Maybe you'd help me tow the raft ashore where the light is. He's sick, and so is Ma'am and Marianne. Oh, the devil. We're in a hurry, boy. But I suppose we got to. Come, buckle to your paddle, and let's get along. I buckled to my paddle, and they laid to their oars. When we made a good stroke or two, I says... Pap will be mighty obliged to you, I can tell you. Everybody goes away when I want them to help me tow the raft ashore. 
and I can't do it by myself. Well, that's the infernal mean. Odd, too. Say, boy, what's the matter with your father? It's the, uh, well, it ain't anything much. They stopped pulling. It weren't but a mighty little ways to the raft now. One says, boy, that's a lie. What is the matter with your pap? Answer up square now, and it'll go well for you. I will, sir, I will, honest. But don't leave us, please. It's the, the, gentlemen, if you'll only pull ahead, let me heave you the headline, so you won't have to come near the raft. Please do. Set her back, John, set her back, says one. They backed water. Keep away, boy. Keep to lowered. Confound it. I just expect the wind had blowed it to us. Your pap's got the smallpox, and you know it precious well. Why didn't you come out and say so? You want to spread it all over? Well, says I, a blubbering, I've told everybody before, and they just went away and left us. Poor devil, there's something in that. We're right down sorry for you, but we, well, hang it, we don't want the smallpox. Look here, I'll tell you what to do. Don't you try to land by yourself, or you'll smash everything to pieces. You float along down about twenty miles, and you'll come to a town on the left-hand side of the river. It'll be long after sun-up then, and when you ask for help, you tell them your folks are all down with chills and fever. Don't be a fool again, and let people guess what's the matter. Now we're trying to do you a kindness, so you just put twenty miles between us. That's a good boy. It wouldn't do any good to land yonder where the light is. That's only a wood yard. Say, I reckon your father's poor, and I'm bound to say he's in pretty hard luck. Here, I'll put in a twenty-dollar gold piece on this board, and you get it when it floats by. I feel mighty mean to leave you, but my kingdom, it won't do to fool with smallpox, don't you see? Hold on, Parker, says the other man. Here's another twenty to put on board for me. Goodbye, boy. You do as Mr. Parker told you, and you'll be all right. That's so, my boy. Goodbye. If you see any runaway slaves, you get help and nab them, and you can make some money by it. Goodbye, sir, says I. I won't let no runaway slaves get by me if I can help it. They went off, and I got aboard the raft, feeling bad and low, because I knowed very well I'd done wrong and I see it weren't no use for me to try to learn to do right. A body that don't get started right when he's little ain't got no show. When the pinch comes, there ain't nothing to back him up and keep him to his work, and so he gets beat. Then I thought a minute, I says to myself, Hold on. Suppose you'd have done right and give Jim up. Would you have felt better than what you do now? No, says I. I'd feel bad. I'd feel just the same way I do now. Well then, says I, what's the use of you learning to do right when it's troublesome to do right and ain't no trouble to do wrong and the wages is just about the same? I was stuck. I couldn't answer that. So I reckoned I wouldn't bother no more about it. But after this, always do whichever come handiest at the time. I went into the wigwam. Jim weren't there. I looked all around, but he weren't anywhere. I says, Jim, here I is, Huck. Is they out of sight yet? 
Don't talk loud. He was in the river, under the stern oar, with just his nose out. I told him they were out of sight, so he could come aboard. And he says, I was listening to all the talk, and I slips into the river and was gwine to shove for shore if they come aboard. Then I was gwine to swim to the raft again when they was gone. But lousy did you fool em. That was the smartest dodge I ever seen. I tell you, child, I spec it save old Jim. Old Jim ain't gonna forget you for that, honey. Then we talked about the money. It was a pretty good raise. Twenty dollars apiece? Jim said we could take deck passage on a steamboat now, and the money would last us as far as we wanted to go in the free states. He said twenty mile more weren't far off for the raft to go, but we wished we was already there. Towards daybreak we tied up, and Jim was mighty particular about hiding the raft good. Then he worked all day fixing things in bundles, and getting all ready to quit rafting. That night, about ten, we hove in sight of the lights of a town away down in a left-hand bend. I went off in the canoe to ask about it. Pretty soon I found a man out in the river with a skiff set in a trot line. I ranged up and says, Mister, is that town Cairo? Cairo? No. You must be a blame fool. Well, what town is it, mister? If you want to know, go and find out. If you stay here bothering around me for a half a minute longer, you're going to get something you don't want. I paddled to the raft. Jim was awful disappointed. But I said, never mind. Cairo would be the next place, I reckon. We passed another town before daylight, and I was going out again. But it was high ground, so I didn't go. No high ground about Cairo, Jim said. I had forgot that. We'd laid up for the day on a towhead tolerable close to the left-hand bank. I'd begun to suspicion something, and so did Jim. I says, Maybe we went by Cairo in that fog that night. And he says, Don't let's talk about it, Huck. Paul men like me can't have no luck. I always expected that rattlesnake skin weren't done with its work. I wish I'd never seen that snake skin, Jim. I do wish I'd never laid eyes on it. I ain't your fault, Huck. You didn't know. Don't you blame yourself about it. When it was daylight, here was the clear Ohio water inshore, sure enough, and outside was the old regular muddy. So it was all up with Cairo. We talked it over. It wouldn't do to take to the shore. We couldn't take the raft up the stream, of course. There weren't no way but to wait for dark and start back in the canoe and take the chances. So we slept all day amongst the cottonwood thicket, so as to be fresh for the work. And when we went back to the raft about dark, the canoe was gone. We didn't say a word for a good while. There weren't anything to say. We both knowed well enough it was some more work of the rattlesnake skin. So what was the use to talk about it? It would only look like we was finding fault, and that would be bound to fetch more bad luck and keep on fetching it, too, till we knowed enough to keep still. By and by, we talked about what we better do, and found there weren't no way but to just go along down with the raft till we got a chance to buy a canoe to go back in. We weren't going to borrow it when there weren't anybody around, the way Pap would do, for that might set people after us. So we shoved out after dark on the raft. 
anybody that don't believe yet that it's foolishness to handle a snakeskin, after all that snakeskin done for us, should believe it now if they read on and see what more it done for us. The place to buy canoes is off of rafts, laying up at shore, but we didn't see no rafts laying up, so we went along during three hours and more. Well, the night got gray and rather thick, which is the next meanest thing to fog. You can't tell the shape of the river, and you can't see no distance. It got to be very late and still, and then along comes a steamboat up the river. We lit the lantern and judged she would see it. Upstream, boats didn't generally come close to us. They'd go out and follow the bars and hunt for easy water under the reefs. But nights like this, they'd bull right up the channel against the whole river. We could hear her pounding along, but we didn't see her good till she was close. She aimed right for us. Often they do that and try and see how close they can come without touching. Sometimes the wheel bites off a sweep, and then the pilot sticks his head out and laughs and thinks he's mighty smart. Well, here she comes, and we said she was going to try and shave us. But she didn't seem to be shearing off a bit. She was a big one. "'and she was a-coming in a hurry, too, "'looking like a black cloud "'with rows of glowworms around it. "'But all of a sudden she bulged out, "'big and scary, "'with a long row of wide-open furnace doors "'shining like red-hot teeth, "'and her monstrous bows and guards "'hanging right over us. "'There was a yell at us "'and a jingling of bells to stop the engines, "'a powwow of cussing "'and whistling of steam, "'and as Jim went overboard on one side "'and I on the other, she came smashing right through our raft. I dived, and I aimed to find the bottom, too, for a thirty-foot wheel had got to go over me, and I wanted it to have plenty of room. I could always stay under water a minute. This time I reckon I'd stayed under a minute and a half. Then I bounced for the top in a hurry, for I was nearly busting. I popped out to my armpits and blowed the water out of my nose and puffed a bit. Of course there was a booming current, and of course that boat started her engines again ten seconds after she'd stopped them. For they never cared much for raftsmen, so now she was churning along up the river, out of sight in the thick weather, though I could hear her. I sung out for Jim about a dozen times, but I didn't get any answer, so I grabbed a plank that touched me while I was treading water and struck out for the shore, shoving it ahead of me but I made out to see that the drift of the current was towards the left-hand shore, which meant that I was in a crossing, so I changed off and went that way. It was one of those long, slanting, two-mile crossings, so I was a good long time in getting over. I made a safe landing and clumb up the bank. I couldn't see but a little ways, but I went poking over along rough ground for a quarter of a mile or more and then I ran across a big old-fashioned double log house before I noticed it. I was going to rush by and get away, but a lot of dogs jumped out and went to howling and barking at me, and I know better than to move another peg. Next week, Chapter 17. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and please do stop a moment at wherever you listen to your podcast to send us a good review. We would appreciate that very much. Thank you, and we'll be back next Sunday night.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.